What is up, K Corner Podcast? How are we doing today? Welcome back to another episode. First off, I want to thank you guys, as always, for tuning in and listening. You can always give me a follow at Twitter at K Corner Podcast. Um, just giving you a rundown of the rest of the week. Today, we're going to be covering college basketball. Uh, we're going to cover the last few days of college football. Obviously, recap yesterday's game, uh, talk about tomorrow's game for NFL. I'm also going to predict the weekend's games for uh, college. Friday, I am hoping to do a live stream. If depends on how my computer's running. I kind of have an older laptop. I bought it my first year of college, so it's about six years old now. Uh, I've been looking to replace it, but it still runs fine and does everything I really want it to do, which I don't ask a whole lot. But if it can't really run... Um, a, a live stream like in any good quality which I'm going to test out tomorrow then I probably won't live stream it but I am planning on uploading onto YouTube it'll be my first official upload on this channel it's going to be K Corner Podcast or some variation of that I'll have the official thing out Friday on my uh, Twitter per usual and my goal for that is I'm going to give you guys a half hour of just the George or sorry, just the Alabama Cincinnati game. Uh, I've done a lot of research onto the individual players, stuff like that that I'm really excited to share with you guys. Probably some stats and stuff that you guys don't typically hear. We we oftentimes hear, well, this team did this, this team did this, and, and they talk about units as a as a team, but they don't really focus on individual players. And I've gone into the player stats. I've looked at what were their key games, where there were their important games and that's what I'm really going to focus on in the breakdown. Going to give you not a final score prediction, but going to just kind of give you where I think the game's most likely going to go. I'm going to follow that up with Monday, having the full weekend to set everything up. Monday, get that work day, come home, and then I'm going to upload a... Actually, I'll, I'll do that Wednesday because... What I will do is Monday I'm going to upload per usual, and then Tuesday I'm going to do my YouTube thing if I can't live stream. If I can live stream it uh, Friday, then I'll do a live stream on Wednesday uh, like like I would normally do. But if not, I will just uh, do a, a YouTube video upload. And so my goal is to show you guys spreadsheets, show you guys numbers, get a little bit more in-depth in, 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 like, in the topic. And then on top of that, what I'm going to be doing is while I'm recording that YouTube video, I'm going to cut it off at 30 minutes and and all that will be a screen and, and me talking to you guys and, and going through that game. And it's still going to be posted on my uh, uh, Spotify and everything like that. So the full podcast is still going to come out for all my NFL predictions for Friday and everything like that. The only difference is that first half an hour, which is going to be covering college football in its depths. Well, not in the depths, just the Georgia-Cincinnati game in its depths, the college football game. That is going to be the first half hour. It's going to be the first half hour of my Spotify I'll, I'll cover all that, but I just kind of want to let you guys know. And then Wednesday, right before the Michigan uh Georgia game. I'm going to give you guys all the content. Hopefully you guys have a day or two to watch it. You watch it the day of um, Georgia Michigan game. Uh, I think that game is going to be closer of the two, but I, I, I think there's a lot of things to look to and a lot of narratives that get driven on through a season that aren't necessarily true. And I just kind of want to go over all of that. 
So with that being said, I'm going to be talking about NFL. Um, the NFL games were kind of shit this week, if I'm being dead honest with you. Um, I don't know if it was because so many people were out uh, COVID-wise in, in terms of... <clears throat> I'm just thinking about this logistically of coaches and stuff like that, but it, it was really not not a good weekend of football. There were some upsets. One importantly, obviously that you know the weekend wasn't good, and then I thought, hey, maybe the Monday and Tuesday games are going to be better, and they really weren't. Um, Raiders versus the Browns. The Browns really couldn't afford to lose this game as the Raiders kick a game-winning field goal to win it. Derek Carr was 236 for a touchdown and an interception. Um, Josh Jacobs was 15 carries for 52 yards. Um, you know, not much offensively on either side of this. Nate Mullins was the quarterback with Baker Mayfield being out COVID related. He was 20 of 30 for 147 and a touchdown. Nick Chubb did run the ball well, 23 carries for 91 yards and a touchdown. But uh, there really just wasn't any explosive plays. Um, this, this, this was a very offensively stagnant game. Um, and it just wasn't really that good. And then we have the Monday night game that was originally supposed to be the other Monday night game. Kirk Cousins was 12 of 24 for 87 yards and two TDs. Uh, I don't understand this Minnesota team at all. And I, I don't know if it's their head coach, but I hate the way that he plays football. So they Minnesota goes up 10 to 3 uh, going into the second half. Um, they score really early 10. Their offense looks like it's moving. And then they really shut things down uh, offensively. They stopped giving Justin Jefferson the ball. All of Justin Jefferson's project- or, you know, scoring was four receptions, 47 yards, and a TDs. And that all pretty much happened in the first quarter, uh, first half mostly. But the, the inability for this offense to maintain leads and, and push leads out is really why they've struggled so much in this year. And if Chicago wasn't such a piss poor team with Matt Nagy calling the offensive plays, I think that this could have definitely been a loss for Minnesota because whenever they get any sort of lead, like there may be the most conservative ball. Now, granted, Dalvin Cook is a good running back, but it was 28 carries for 89 yards and 3.2 yards of carries. Akeem Hicks, who needs to get signed somewhere else. Um, if, if he's signed, I don't know if he's signed or if he's a free agent, but if he is a free agent going into next year, he needs to get signed somewhere else. And if he's not a free agent, uh, the Bears need to trade this guy. They could get probably a second rounder at minimum for him. This guy ruins games routinely in that middle. They don't have Khalil Mack, and they still have a very effective defense with him clogging everything in the middle because it's not even his stats. He had six tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss, but it's just the way that he gets in... He he gets in the way. He, he blows up offensive run plays. He has internal pressure. If we've learned anything, it's that internal pressure really is the key to stopping offenses. When teams can't step up in the pocket and your edge rushers can gain depth and the quarterback is always running backwards, that is one of the keys to having a very sophisticated and very efficient pass rushing group because a lot of times what you see is edge rushers win, but the quarterback can step up into the pocket. They have room to maneuver. And if the middle is getting concaved so consistently with a guy like Hicks, uh, it really stutters your offense. But the Vikings were unwilling to do anything. Uh, is a very boring game. Rams-Seahawks. 
Uh, there was a few throws that Stafford made that were absolutely incredible in this game. It wasn't really the offensive performance that you wanted. Stafford was 21 of 29, 244 yards with two TDs and an interception. He got sacked four times. Um, their offensive line has been beat up week in and week out. Um, but that really, really hasn't necessarily hampered this offense. But early on, this this Rams team was struggling. Sony Michelle had a good game, 18 carries for 92 yards, no touchdowns. And Cooper Cup really continues his incredible offensive season that he's had. Um, he has 122 receptions for 1,625 yards and 14 TDs. He leads first in every category. And what you kind of see here is something that we saw with Calvin Johnson and Matthew Stafford, and a few different people have brought this up, is that Matthew Stafford, when he finds a receiver that he really likes getting the ball to, he feeds that receiver. Not to mention that Van, with having Van Jefferson being in his second year and not really producing and Robert Woods going down and having to pick up Odell and Odell being on COVID and Higby going out, that he really feeds guys who have the hot hand who can consistently get open. And I don't know if this is good or bad for the offense, but this man went from, uh, in 2019, 134 yards and 1,100 to 122 yards uh, in 1,600 yards and 14 TDs. He's crushing the rest of his stats, having a career year. And people can talk about that it's not Stafford, but there's a throw, and, and you'll have to go watch it on Twitter. I really suggest this. And if you guys are like, why are you Stafford Homer? He, he left you guys. You guys can shut up because I, I love this man. I love the way he plays. Because I do like the guy, and I do like the way he plays, but one of the throws he made, just going back to that, there was pressure off the right edge, a missed block, or the line shifted, and someone thought he was going to block him. Free runner to Stafford. Stafford lets the ball go early. Cooper Cup is not open at all. He kind of drops his arm angle to get it out because he, he, he was kind of off his back foot. He couldn't step into it, and he slings it directly over a linebacker's head. They end up scoring a few plays later, but Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford just having the connection that they do and having such a tremendous season is really fun to see. Now, I, I, I know a lot of analytic guys will talk about, well, EPA on plays where Matthew Stafford is. Look, Todd Gurley, the, the, the Todd Gurley in 2018 where this offense was really zooming, was an MVP winner. There's no one like that on this team. Now, Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford having a tremendous way with the year, but Todd Gurley, maybe you could say if Cam Akers, Sony Michelle's a very capable back. Uh, Daryl Henderson's a very capable back. But these guys aren't 2018 Todd Gurley that ran for, I believe, it was 1,300 yards in 12 games or something crazy like that. Um, so that's just something to remind ourselves of. Granted, Jared Goff wasn't playing at the consistency and this line isn't necessarily as good. And there's a lot of factors to kind of put into it other than just being like, look at the EPA. And that's why I hate analytic guys because they get trapped in a box way too often with, with how they think and how they look at the game as they look at a few stats, but don't look at the whole picture. But, you know, a, a win that the Rams needed to get a Ram that puts them in a tie. Now, they don't have the tiebreaker in the division because Arizona is, I think, better in conference. I don't know how it kind of works out because they both have a win at each other's place and the Rams have a better conference record. So it must be record against opponents with above 500 win percentage because they have the same win percentage and everything like that. But Seattle drops another one. Russell Wilson played very poorly against this defense. This defense looked a lot better than it has in recent weeks. Now, granted, the Seattle team isn't 
or sorry, <clears throat> this Rams defense has looked better. Granted, the Seattle team isn't necessarily the same team we saw early on in the season when their offense was actually clicking, but but without a doubt, we 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 it was a good performance by the Rams. They're in a good spot this week with a with a matchup against the Vikings where you know what you're going to get. You're going to get Justin Jefferson. You're going to get some of these guys where another win here and uh, who the Cardinals play. And the Cardinals play the Colts who are an 8-6 and six team who aren't very much an 8-6 and six team. Going into next week, you also have the Cardinals versus the Cowboys who is another difficult game where you get the Ravens who have looked up and down and now they have their backup quarterback in. And then in the last week of the season, you have the 49ers. So it could come down to that game while well, the Cardinals have the Seahawks, the Rams have the 49ers. But it should be a very fun uh, a playoff race in all of these divisions across all lines of football. Moving on to Thursday's game. So covering last week, I mean, it just wasn't a great week for football. Oh, Washington in the Eagles. Sorry, I didn't even I didn't even chalk up this. Um, Garrett Gilbert or what, yeah, Garrett Garrett Gilbert was the quarterback for Washington. Taylor Heineke, I think, was out injured. Twenty of thirty-one, one ninety-four. Not really that bad. Um, this offense was pretty stagnant. They got really lucky on an interception. If you didn't see that interception, uh, one of the tight ends for Philadelphia, I think it was Goddard. Had a ball bounce off his hands, kick off his heel up in the air, and then Washington, I think, returned it for um, a. They didn't. I don't know if they returned it for a touchdown. No, but they returned it a little ways. It was absolutely wild craziness, bonanza. No one knew that he had picked it off. Everyone thought it hit the ground. And then you look at this Philadelphia offense, who's playing against the Washington crew, has held some teams in check. And this front line and this running back group, which is really always going to be the strength, especially with Jalen Hurts being able to run the ball out of the backfield absolutely dominated at the line of scrimmage. They ran the ball 238 yards, 5.8 yards a carry, and two touchdowns. Um, Jalen Hurts had himself a pretty efficient night, 20 of 26 for 296, 11 yards in attempt, one TD and one pick. He did get sacked three times, though. But uh, Jalen Hurts, I'm kind of sad that Gardner Minshew wasn't given another chance. I mean, that man plays lights out every single week. Uh, They very feel comfortable with Jalen Hurts. But, I mean, what... What, what's the negative of having a really good backup? This Philadelphia team is playing for a playoff position right now, and they're in the they're in the seat to do this. They have the Giants in Washington again and then finish with the Cowboys. So if they get to nine wins and they finish nine and eight, with all the craziness that has been uh, the, the NFC this year, they could possibly get in. Now, there's still a lot of really good teams, and they're going to need the 49ers to probably lose some games down the stretch. But this is still a manageable year from Philadelphia, who really wasn't looking for anything. And good news for Philadelphia is Carson Wentz played enough games, and they won enough games, or he reached his totals, where Philadelphia gets the Colts' first-round pick. So good on Philadelphia for having the Colts pick on, uh, you know, it's another mid-round first pick, but if you really want to go after a quarterback or you want to go after someone on the defensive side of the ball, like a defensive uh, lineman to really change things around, you could package two mid-first rounds and then a future for a top five, top three type pick. So the Philadelphia looking good right here. I still have questions on the outside between Jalen Rager and Devonta Smith. Not Devonta Smith, but I think that they don't have a guy who's big and physical to really impose themselves. I know they like Goddard, but they really need like a Kenny Galladay-esque figure out there. So maybe they go with a mid-round guy like uh, 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 who Drake London would be a bigger, more 
contested catch possession type receiver versus these smaller guys that are more ball handlers. And I know Devonta Smith is more in and out of the route guy, but just something to keep an eye on. 49ers and the Titans. This one comes at a tough time for both teams. If the Titans lose this game, they're in a very bad spot here for the Colts to possibly catch them this week. Um, the Colts have a hard game themselves, but I don't like the 49ers here. Um, the Titans haven't been great against the pass, but the one thing that they have really done this year is stop the run in this uh 49ers team is established around having a good run game. They have very productive offensive line. Um, when you talk about a run game, any any good NFL run game um, needs a good offensive line. Maybe you talk about Barry Sanders years, but there's still a few pro bowlers on that offensive line, even though they let some guys in the backfield a few times, which is where really where Barry shined and where all the highlight plays come from. But it wasn't like it was an awful line. It just wasn't as prolific as the Cowboys, which it often gets compared to. But one of the things that this 49ers team has in is a terrific offensive line so guys can get yards. And you kind of see this in the same way that the Lions are running their offense right now. And they're not asking Jimmy Garoppolo to do too much. When when the 49ers win games and when this team and the offense is rolling, he just has to do the bare minimum. And I know a lot of people want to project him into being, oh no, he's he's up there, he was really good. When, when There's nothing wrong with being this quarterback. There's nothing wrong with being the guy that's consistent, that's going to get you in the right play, that's going to audible. But when you need consistent reliance and when your run game struggles to get 80 yards and your offense absolutely comes to a screeching halt because you're not running effectively and getting short first and third, second and third downs, that can't be your your future quarterback, which is why they went and got a guy like Trey Lance while they built up this offensive line, built up the backfield, as they knew that they can't necessarily win with a guy. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to provide a lot of things, and I think through this schedule and through this, I, 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 I think the Titans win really close game. It's a three-point spread. 49ers are favored, obviously, with all the injuries the Titans have because Ryan Tannehill is also the quarterback not to win. But the only thing I favor here is I favor the Titans being able to run against the 49ers versus the 49ers being able to run against the Titans. And that is my only reason for favoring this game um, for NFL-wise because I think both of these teams are completely different from what their records indicate. I think the 49ers are playing much better than 8-6. and And I think the Titans, with all their injuries, aren't playing 9-5 and five football, but what the Titans do have is a good matchup against this 49ers team, and I think Titans being at home, really needing this win to stave off this this Colts unit, who, who this Colts unit, I mean, they're, they're coming up, they're charging, and they're looking to come for the head, and this Titans unit is weakened right now, and they really need a win this week, and it also plays off because they're going to be going off, so the Titans' schedule, it isn't difficult down the stretch, especially while everyone predicted them, but it's it's definitely tightened up because they're going against an 8-6 and six team that is looking to make the playoffs, that's pushing for the playoffs this week. They have the Dolphins next week, and it's another home game, but it's the Dolphins, and the Dolphins have a very, very good defense, and they're going to be pu- probably pushing for the last AFC playoff spot. And then the last week of the season... They have the Texans. Obviously, you can write them off on that win. So most likely 10 wins, probably 11. But if they can get to 12 and win out on these last three games, that puts them in a really good spot, especially with Derrick Henry and the rumors, if they are true, with Derrick Henry coming back. 
So that is going to wrap up my NFL coverage of everything for today. I am going to start talking about college basketball. Um, I know I haven't covered this a whole hell of a lot, and I just want to apologize beforehand for my lack of covering it. Um, But like I said, I don't really look at games before conference season because conference before conference season, I think you have some fun matchups. I think you have really interesting things, but for the way that college basketball is played and with how many freshmen are important to the game, most teams that lose in the early ends early start of the year aren't the same teams that are winning at the end of the year. And I usually don't try to hold that against teams by getting a, a predetermined view. Like I remember Duke last year when they played state or was it this year? Let me, let me double check. MSU, November games. Yeah, it was, it was last year. Uh, I remember them playing state playing Duke and Duke looking like a team that couldn't really guard anyone. And they actually end up having, having like very bad offensive struggles last year because of how young and everyone is in, in the weird years. But I do want to kind of start and, and talk about all the in-between games. Now, COVID is rampaging through NCAA basketball right now. And what we've been seeing is a lot of teams having to cancel their game. Michigan canceled their game. I think Purdue canceled their game. There's a college football um, New Year or not New Year Six, yeah, New Year's New Year's Eve Bowl, um, Texas Tech versus Wake Forest that got uh, Texas A&M has too many players or I didn't say Texas Tech, Texas A&M has too many players uh, on the COVID list and they can't do it. But looking at this um, game, I'm going to talk about some of the top teams some of the things I've seen, and then cover the last few days because we are a few days into the college basketball season, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like Alabama gets taken down by a Davidson squad. Now you'd be like, oh, Davidson unranked. No, this Davidson squad is always incredible. You had some misplays, missed keys here from this Alabama group. But what you've seen and what you always see is Jaden Shackelford. This Alabama group has elite guards after elite guards, kind of the program that they built down there. Our guides being able to play in space, having good spacing and shooting and pulling up for very deeply contested spots. And that's why you've seen guys like Moses Moody and a few others come out of there the last few years. Now this Davidson squad is always a little bit older. And they're also led by former MSU, former Uh, Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan, Foster Lawyer. Um, This Davidson squad is nothing to be messed around with. They're probably in the top 25s as I speak as I'm referencing an older game. But they're 9-2 on the season. They get a nice gritty road win against Alabama. And there's just equal scoring along the lineup here. You had uh, Bradjokovic and you had Jones leading the scoring here. And, And what you see is they can shoot the ball pretty consistently. They shot... Uh, 50% from the, uh, 53% from the field and 50% from three. And maybe you didn't get the most clean shooting night out of Alabama, which allowed a team that you'd probably say is a little bit less skilled, a little bit lower down on the, on the totem pole, win that game. But without a doubt, you have to have you know a, a good idea and good understanding of how, how these games come together. So I'm going to jump through the rankings really quick. I'm going to talk about some key teams and key matchups. Um, talking about key matchups... 
Arizona and Tennessee are playing right now uh, on ESPN2. It's a 66-65 game. Arizona has a very light Pac-12 schedule. Pac-12 doesn't seem very up there this year. They've had a lot of draft picks get pulled out of the conference the last few years, especially USC, Oregon, who are more of the dominant programs in that uh, Stanford also lost uh, an NBA player. So Arizona's looking to fight off Tennessee at Tennessee. And if they pick up this win, they could be on the road to being undefeated and possibly number one seed with everyone else playing a much tougher schedule. But moving on, we have a bunch of fun games tonight. Uh, uh, UCLA, or sorry, Duke, Virginia Tech. Duke, Duke opens up their play as the number two team in the country. And this is, you know, after this week, you get to see a lot of fun conference matchups after the Christmas holiday. And, and the reason why I like watching um, college basketball after so there's usually like two games, and then there's a, basically a full reset, and they don't play another conference game until um, the start of January, and that's when you start to see all the Big Ten, Big 12 play, and stuff like that. But a good example of this, and I'm going to talk about this as time approaches, is Arizona versus UCLA, number five versus number six currently, is going to be on December 30th, and that is one of the like first Pac-12 games. Jumping into the rankings, Baylor, a perfect 10-0. and 0. Um, they, they have wins over Michigan State. They've really proven themselves. They're very consistent. Another good, gritty team out of the Big 12. They won the national championship last year. They lost two starters off that team, but returned a lot, a lot more. Um, and this is, they, they play stifling defense. That's kind of been their MO for the last few years. Uh, they've beaten Villanova, Oregon, um, MSU, Arizona State, Stanford, VCU. They played some good teams and some teams that are usually pretty good, and uh, that's helped them build a number one status. They held Villanova to 36 points in the Big East Big 12 battle, and Villanova is known to be just an absolute you know, freak scorer. They, they score left, right, and center. They're consistent, and they get after it. And um, that, that was absolutely stifled by this really, really good Baylor team. They have 61st place votes, and Arizona is the only one receiving another one. You have Duke, who's going after VT right now. Um, Duke hasn't really played the toughest of schedules in their last few games, but they did have a pretty rough start to the season, and they got away with a bunch of good wins. They beat Kentucky. Uh, in the State Farm Championship Classic. And you may be seeing the number one pick on this uh, Duke team on uh, Paolo Bronchero. He's a 6'10", 250-pound freshman. He can shoot it a little bit. He's he's aggressive. He rebounds. He isn't necessarily a great blocker for his size and wingspan, but this man can get his shot off whenever he wants. He's a very efficient scorer, shooting over 50% from two-point land, and he's helped carry this team. So Duke has beaten Gonzaga, but they go in into Ohio State for the championship matchup, and they lose to Ohio State, who is off to a rough start. And what you saw here is that Paulo Bonchero was, was stifled in this game, and that is one of the things that this Duke team is going to need to find, is other scores that the ACC is typical. You go and play your Virginias. They're very good at shutting down these scores. And Duke really needs to be able to find another one of these dudes on this team that can score outside of them. Obviously, Ohio State, they lose. Oh, my God. I know his face. He's from GR. But they lose one of their best scorers, their point guard. EJ Liddell is still there. He's going to be the double-double machine. He's going to be the big guy defending. And he can take away some of these very effective bigs. 
um, that they face not only in the Big Ten but around the country as big players that are 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", I think, or not even that, like 6'10", that can shoot and do all these things are starting to make a comeback. And I know everyone likes to talk about uh, waves in college basketball and them finding their way in the NBA. And it's the same way with college football schemes. Everyone talked about well, college will never translate to the NFL. And then, you know, you had 5,000-yard passing season, 5,000-yard passing season, 5,000-yard passing season. And they were starting to throw the ball a lot more and going away from running the ball into the ground in the same way that the NBA is. So for a long time, it was uh, a big, heavy league. You think about back in the day with uh, Oscar Robertson, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, these absolute pinnacles, Carl Malone. And then you got into the MJs in the guard-heavy relationship. Your MJs, your Kobe's, um, uh, Allen Iverson. These these elite, fast, quick guard scorers. And, and then the next the next realm of transition was you have these forwards. So small forwards really became the impactful guys. Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Where these guys are, you know, six seven. They're built like tanks, and they can do all these things. And now we're going back to bigs, and you're seeing these more six ten, six eleven, freak athletes that are learning to dribble the ball. They don't just get put down in the post for all of your uh, workouts and practices. You work on dribbling. They do all the same techniques, and you're seeing guys like Paulo Bronchero. Seeing guys like EJ Liddell, Hunter Dickinson, where these elite bigs that can learn and do all these things are starting to trickle in and make a comeback. You think of Anthony Davis being an elite big and him being emphasized in the league more. And, and, and so you always see these transitions and it always starts in college because these guys filter to the NBA, you know, and in guys that didn't make it of small four lane are like Andrew Wiggins and um, Jaleel, not Jaleel Okafor, because um, he was a big, um, oh my God. Starts with a J. I can't remember his name. I don't think he's in the league anymore. He gained a lot of weight and ended up being like, ended up transitioning to a power forward instead of a small forward. But that's one of these things. And big men are kind of making a little transition back. This Duke team is going to be very good. Uh, They're going to dominate ACC play for a bit as the ACC is having a bit of a down year. Um, As they face no ranked teams, um, uh, left. Oh, <laughs> no current ACC teams are ranked. So I, I take back. I mean, obviously you're going to lose some games in the ACC. They know how to play basketball. They play you twice a year, every year. They're going to know how to defend your sets and stuff like that. But overall, something to keep an eye on. Purdue. Purdue is just a well-balanced team at this point. And, and what you like with Purdue and, and, and what you like and some of the concerns about Purdue is Purdue has never won. And and what I mean by that is they haven't won for a very, very long time. And and that isn't to be rude to Purdue or rude to who they are, but they haven't won for a long time. And it's hard to kind of instill that that consistency and and leadership. So I look at a game where NC State, they're 7-3, no longer ranked. Purdue was the number one team in the country at this point, and they get an OT game. And Jaden Ivey, their sophomore, is 22. But this team just doesn't shoot well from the field. And they rely on three-point shots, get it in the bigs, and and pass it out. And they just weren't a good team on those days. Even their win against Iowa, 77-70, they lose to Purdue at Purdue. And they have a a real tough schedule. They got Ohio State. In Wisconsin this month, 
You never want to play those teams. I would say Michigan, but Michigan has certainly struggled this year, and I want to rank them in the tops of the uh, NCAA right now. Gonzaga, obviously with a huge recruiting class, they're going to kind of cool off and win a bunch of games at this part of the year because they are transitioning into conference play. They really challenged themselves this year, and that's one of the things that I, I, I wish that Gonzaga wasn't so limited because what ends up happening in, in full honesty about Gonzaga and why most years they don't make a deep run, even though I think that they have a top five team and they're ranked correctly is because they play 10 straight, you know, 10 straight weeks, maybe not 10 straight weeks, you know, eight straight weeks of basketball against kids that just aren't in the same realm of them, that aren't coached as well, that aren't as skilled. And you tend to lax, which is something that I think like transitioning across sports is something like happened to Georgia as their last few weeks of the college football season. They really didn't play a tough opponent since Kentucky, and they finished the season with some FCS school or maybe a Sun Belt and then Georgia Tech. So they didn't really play anyone heading into the Alabama game where the Alabama had LSU, uh, Arkansas, and Auburn back-to-back-to-back to back to back, all, all judging and pushing them to be a better team. Next up, uh, UCLA, Pac-12 leader here, um, Arizona. Arizona's a really good squad this year. Uh they haven't necessarily had the depth the last few years. A guy like DeAndre Ayton went there, and you wouldn't really know it because Pac-12 basketball and Pac-12 sports in general aren't talked about a lot. But this Pac-12 is is pretty heavy on the top. Um, you have teams like USC and UCLA and Arizona all making up uh, – five, six, and eight. Then you have Kansas. Kansas is just consistent. They're always going to be that team that seven, probably compete and win another Big 12 title as all these Big 12 teams try and figure it out. Um, Now, Baylor, I believe, won it last year for like the first time in seven or eight years, but uh, I predict Baylor to probably win it again. I think they match up much better than uh, Kansas. You have USC, uh, ISU, Iowa State, um, also really good. This Big 12 is going to be a pretty tough conference this year. Alabama, another SEC representative. And then you have MSU. MSU is not going to be a bad team, but they still have some identity issues on the offensive side of the ball. From from when I've watched them, they ended up beating Oakland 90-78 to at Little Caesars Arena. But um, who's, who's their best player? And if I asked a few different Michigan fans... Most of them would say, well, I really like Max Christie. Some others would say I like Marcus Bingham Jr. And they just don't have that guy right now. And the guys on the backs like Jaden Akins, A.J. Hogard, these guards that are trying to back up these other guards that aren't necessarily playing at an elite clip. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how these minutes end up being balanced. And they kind of have to shackle down that roster because right now they're playing 10 players And when teams are really, 10 players is a good and a bad thing because I don't think State necessarily has the recruiting depth right now to play 10 players. And I think they're trying to figure out, hey, who are the eight or seven that I can really play out of this 10? And no one has separated themselves, which means that they will probably have a little early Rocky Big Ten season is kind of my prediction. Izzo will coach his guys up and have them ready for March to lose in the first round or playing game. No, I'm just kidding. Um, He usually has his guys ready to play at the end of the season. and, And that's consistent. And every single year, down years, up years, they always play well going into the postseason at the end of conference play. They figured out the Big Ten opponents. And I think from a standpoint is he'll have figured that roster out. So 11 right now is probably a little highly ranked. They might lose a game that shocks you. They might fall to 20. But by the end of the season, they're probably in the top 15, top 10 area. Um, You have Auburn, Houston, OSU. 
Um, like I said with them already, like EJ Liddell is their 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 man, their go-to, and they have other options at scoring, but they've lost some talent to the NBA, and they're trying to you know really find themselves. Seton Hall, um, Michigan ended up losing to this team early on in the season. Um, they're 91 15 seed Texas. Then you have LSU, Xavier, uh, Tennessee, UK, um, Colorado State. Colorado State is really a shocker. Um, they haven't been relevant in basketball world really since I can remember. Providence. Providence has been. Um, I like the way that they've played basketball so far this year from what I've watched. Uh, they played extremely well against Texas Tech. And Texas Tech is a real-time real time team. They, they defend well, and, and they do a lot of things well. And between Seton Hall and Providence... In Villanova, this big this Big East battle is going to be absolutely crazy this year to see all these teams fight and jive for for, for position. And just as I say, uh, Big East Villanova, uh, they recently just beat uh, Xavier. Villanova does have four losses this year, which is unlike them. But they have played a pretty difficult schedule this year. They lost to both Baylor, um, UCLA, uh, and Purdue. I mean, those are three really, really good losses. They beat a they beat a Tennessee team, and like I just said, they just beat a uh, Xavier team. Um, so they're trying to pile up some wins here. Oh, they also lost to Creighton. They got blown out by Creighton. I apologize. Uh, that was the fourth loss. But they're going to have plenty of time in that very difficult Big East to pile up some wins. So expect them to move up by the end of the year. And then Wisconsin and Texas Tech rounding up the top 25. I'm excited to see how these games go. I'm excited to see how all this pans out. There's uh, 13 seconds left in this Tennessee-Arizona game. Tennessee is up by three. So we'll see what ends up happening here. Um, Duke's up early 13-9 on Virginia Tech. But that is going to wrap up my college basketball takes. Um, not that there is really any takes, but just, just bring it out there. And Missouri is playing Army right now. Um, Missouri is one of those teams, they have a pretty good defense. Although, you know, Army's offense is really good when you don't have a few weeks to prepare for it, which is always why I think these Naval Academies produce and perform poorly in bowl games usually, but do really well like in the third or fourth game of the year when they end up beating them. But this Missouri offense isn't necessarily going to blow anyone away. Um, right now it's 13-7 uh, with a minute left going into the half, and Missouri is not quite in the red zone but still looking to score. So NBA-wise, what are some things to look at other than the fact that you know, we brought this up a handful of times that the NBA is getting hit very hard by COVID. Uh, teams are basically playing at half capacity. Some games are getting canceled. Teams that are playing well are continuing to play well. Um, John Morant got welcomed back on Monday with some incredible passes as the Grizzlies end up blowing uh, a pretty significant lead. They're up 28-16. Um, they were up 28-16 on OKC, at, or what was it? It was uh, 43-34 at one point. There's a pretty good consistency there, and then Memphis ended up blowing it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how John ja Morant performs. Uh, last night, the Lakers end up losing to the Suns. Uh, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker was 1 of 13, 0 of 8 from 3. Um, Russell Westbrook was 0 of 2 from 3. Wayne Ellington was 1 of 4 from 3. Carmelo Anthony was 1 of 4 from 3. And Isaiah Thomas was 0 for 6 of 3. Um, just a horrendous night. Uh, not everyone's in this lineup, but they've really gone with age. LA, they, they're like, we want an older team. We want a more professional team so that we don't have to learn everything. And that age is starting to catch up to them as 
they aren't able to get in and out of games. They're very heavily injured, especially with Anthony Davis going down. Um, and this Phoenix team found its footing after LA got up to a pretty good lead. Uh, LeBron James had 34 and seven rebounds in a losing performance. Devin Booker had 24. Aiton had 19. Mikhail or yeah, Mikhail Bridges had 14. Cam Johnson had 14. Jigel McGee had 10, and Cameron Payne had 10. Even though he shot very poorly from the night and probably kept the game closer. Um, there's some really good matchups. Um, the Pistons continue to suck, and what I have seen from the Pistons lately is that Kate Cunningham is beginning to struggle again and whether that's because uh, sorry Jeremy Grant is out and the best defenders switching over to Kate Cunningham or what have you um, he struggled his last few games and his numbers aren't really looking that well he shot he was seven he had seven points nine rebounds eight assists but he was two of 13 from the field so most of that came from the stripe and this Pistons team just isn't very good and I don't expect them to really beat anyone we I'm going to the Heat and Pacers game Karis LeVert had 17 on 415 shooting uh I think it's Justin Holiday had seven points. Amanda Sabonis didn't really have a good game. Um, the seat defense was really stepping up. Um, and Miami played really good. Duncan Robinson had 26 of 6 of 10 from the field. Gary Vincent had 13 points. Um, this team was playing out with a few different people. But Tyler Hero, again, continuing to take that step in 21 minutes, had 26 points as a scoring threat. He's kind of a Lou, Lou Will breed where you just come in and score as many damn points as you can. Uh, New Orleans picks up a win over Portland. Even though Damian Lillard had 39, Portland ends up tra- uh, beating them 111-97. to Brandon Ingram had 28. Josh Hart added in 20 and a few other guys chipped in over there. Nikhil Alexander uh, Walker had 27. So when this team gets going, they can score a lot, but it hurts when your number one draft pick went. <clears throat> yeah, but it, it hurts when you don't have your best player playing. Um, And, and whenever you have a guy like Zion Williams caliber out and, and he's not playing for you, your offense isn't even like even when you win games, it still feels bitter, bitter because, you know, you could be playing at a completely different level uh, going in the NBA today. Magic are currently up on the Hawks. Cavs are currently getting blown out by the Celtics by 14. Bucks are beating the Rockets by 13. Thunder are clapping the Nuggets by 14. So not really any close games. Heading into Christmas, I'm going to go into Christmas Day games because those are usually your funnest games. Nets and Lakers. I don't expect this game to be close. Um, the Nets are a much. Oh wait, I'll do. I'll preview all this on Friday. Never mind. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. But for Thursday games, Pistons Heat. Heat gonna blow them out. Um, Um, Grizzlies Warriors are going to be a good one. Um, really efficient, really effective guard play. The Grizzlies can really lock teams up. And if Steph Curry doesn't have a fantastic shooting night, where does that put this, uh, Warriors roster at? Because when he isn't shooting well, and you, and you can tell when he isn't shooting well, um, in terms of their offensive performance. And I don't mean that in the way of, well, of course, when they shoot well, their offense does poorly. No, no, the offense becomes stagnant because so many people want to see Curry shoot, and when he's having an off-shooting night or people are running him off, everyone 
goes to him more on the offense, A, to get him going. So Draymond continues to pass it to him. They, they really stick to their guns on getting him the ball as much as possible. But in the same breath, what you see is that the defense recognizes that and begins to clap on him harder so that sometimes when Steph Curry's really bad nights turn into really, really awful nights because he keeps shooting and the offense continues to drive him through the ball. Now, when Klay Thompson comes back, you're probably going to see, you know, if he comes back healthy, he's coming off of two ACL injuries. Um, if you see him come back healthy, you're going to be able to see, you know, an offense that lightens up. But Jordan Poole has 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 came off his hot streak at the beginning of the year. He's still playing well, but he isn't necessarily playing at the same clip he was at the other start of the year. And teams are really trying to focus on Steph Curry. Say, hey, please, someone else try and beat us and, and scheme around stopping him at all costs. And I know everyone's like, yeah, of course they do. No, but they're really getting better at it because of the limitations that some of these other offensive players have with having guys like Draymond and not really having a true number two scorer and Jordan Poole like almost being there but not being quite the threat that you need alongside Steph Curry when you have some some guys that really don't make shots like Draymond Green who really, really can't make any shots. And and that's not to shit on Draymond Green. I mean, I think he would, he would admit that his offensive game is definitely lacking and that's not to take away his defensive game or anything he does in setting up the offense. But you also have a guy like Kevon Looney in there. And so you have two guys in the lane that really have to be around the, the, bat, uh, the ball screening, giving it handoffs and stuff like that, or rebounding and don't have really anywhere to go shooting wise. And that clogs it up compared to like Kevin Durant being out there with Draymond Green and them running a small ball lineup. Um, NHL is also receiving a bunch of different um, NFL and VAX bans. And it's actually getting kind of crazy in terms of the NFL because, or uh, NHL, I said NFL twice, NHL and the NHL because the games are in Canada. And so you're really dealing with two completely different sets of rules with so many teams being in Canada and some of the restrictions that it has. Um, And so I haven't really been able to give you a wings update and stuff like that just because, well, there isn't much to talk about. Now, Saturday or Friday, I'm going to give you guys a very long podcast, including a full 30 minutes on the Alabama Cincinnati game with a full spreadsheet. So I'm going to be cutting tonight a little short. I'm going to uh, try to hang out with my girlfriend so that Friday when I'm recording podcasts with you, she isn't all pissed off about it. I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys as always for listening to my episodes. Um, We will be continuing to uh, cover the NBA. Like I said, I'm still trying to get that sheet out. Maybe next week, Monday, I'll do a podcast on it. Um, I'm going to watch NBA over Christmas, talk to you guys definitely about the games. We have a bunch of college football. I'll be covering any of the Christmas Day games and stuff like that on Friday. But like I said, the main focus is going to be the first half hour on that, then moving on. If you guys have any questions or anything to submit to me, I appreciate it as always. You guys keep it easy. You have a wonderful uh, night and if you don't tune in on Friday because of Christmas and you don't listen to my preview because you're going to wait till next week to the new year to listen to it, you guys all have a wonderful Christmas with your families. Stay safe out there. This time of year is very dangerous to be driving on the roads, especially in the north where I'm from. And I know recently just moved down. So stay safe on those roads up there. Be aware of drunk drivers. Make sure you don't drive drunk. Buy Ubers. I know Uber and Lyft sometimes do specials this year when people are out on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve to make sure that everyone gets home safe. Like, hey, one free ride if you sign up. So be sure to take uh, any of those any of those notices out there. I love you guys. Um, special shout out to Dave and Sam talking about random shit today. Apologize for being a Michigan dickhead. But that's how things are. But um, 
You guys have a wonderful weekend if I don't talk to you and the corners have been painted.